are here today just outside Phoenix, Arizona with landscape photographer Alain Rio. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us at your beautiful location, your house and gallery. And um, we, uh, I know your work for a while now from uh, your essays and articles on the luminous landscape, uh, your book, and uh, also your, your work on your website. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to talk about a few things. Um, you are known for the dynamic type of images you're creating of the um, Southwest American mm -hmm. landscape. Uh, maybe you can give us a, a little bit of uh, an idea of the kind of photography you do. Well, I do essentially landscapes, and uh, one of the trademarks is that I approach landscape photography as an art form and not just as a documentation. And uh, one of the main issues that I think a lot of landscape photographers have to deal with today with digital is the whole issue of manipulation. And for me, manipulation is part of my work. That is, if I don't manipulate, I did something wrong in a <laughs> way. <laughs> I do find art, and by nature, art is a representation of the artist's mind. You know, it's an expression of the artist's personality, and that's what matters in what I do. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, your work is phenomenal, and your writing uh, is very, very inspirational. Uh, especially your unique view of uh, art and business in photography. Yeah, I'm very interested in not only taking photographs, but also teaching what I know and sharing my personal view of photography. That is, I believe that it's a responsibility of the artist to you know, help others in a way and share with the audience you know, what goes on in my thinking. Um, and there's all sort of issues today with digital photography <laughs> that are fascinating. You know? yeah, there's absolutely. all sort of things happening that, I mean, I'd, I'd feel really bad if I wasn't talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> and, you, and you have a very honest candor about it, and I really appreciate that, and many others do as well. It's important. I, when I was learning photography, I was quote-unquote victim of uh, photographers that refused to share what they knew. Yeah. And so I see it as my duty today to share what I know because I don't want to put people through what I've been through in a way. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of secrets in film photography and I think that with digital, you know, we were talking just before, you know, if you say something that's not true, anybody can go on Google, check it out and figure out that you know, it's not true, so, you know, it's really silly not to yeah. be straightforward. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can give us a quick uh, background on what you're, uh, where are you coming from? Uh, you're born in Paris, mm. in France, and uh, you have a very interesting history on in getting, becoming eventually a yeah. professional. Yeah, I, I was telling somebody uh, not too long ago that I hadn't made a buck until the age of 40. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at me and they were appalled, and I looked at Natalie and I said, What's wrong? And she said, well, you know, most people start at 20. <laughs> but I guess I was in school for 20 years, so that took care of the problem. Um, and also I changed countries, so. <laughs> but no, I, I, was, I was originally from France, and my studies were originally in painting. That is, I studied painting and drawing at the Académie des Beaux-Arts in Paris. And uh, only later on, after studying painting, did I study photography. And so, when I approached photography, I was approaching it from the perspective of an artist because mm -hmm. I had that as a background. And today, that's basically what I do is I use a lot of the concepts that I learned as a painter, mm -hmm. as an artist, as a, in photography, as a photographer. Uh, you know, the concept of color palette, for example, uh, which I talk about in my new book, uh, the concept of a personal style, the inspiration, you know, composition, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Mixing colors. Um, I work essentially in color. I do a little bit of black and white, but I only do it when color doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, I work a lot with color, and I'm very interested in, in color 
as a phenomenon, not just as something that's very nature, but as something that I can have control over. It's almost like a science, basically. Yeah, as a science on the technical side and, and as, you know, the, the way to express emotion on yeah. the artistic yeah. side. Yeah. So you started out in Paris with your initial education, then you came mm -hmm. into the United States to mm -hmm. uh, continue your education here, right? Right, yeah. I came to the United States in 1986 as a student, and originally I was studying in Flagstaff in northern Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I'm asked all the time, why Flagstaff? And the reason is because it was 72 miles from the Grand Canyon, or, mm -hmm. or 75 miles from the Grand mm -hmm. Canyon. And so I had access to the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I was not interested in being in a city because you know, as a landscape photographer, one of the difficult things is f going to the location. Yeah. And so if you can live close to where the location is, you save a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. And you have m much more opportunity to be there at the right time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, then you, you finished your education and then there came uh, basically a moment, a switch where you uh, decided what to do from there. Right. I studied for my bachelor and my master's in Flagstaff at NAU. And then I decided to do a PhD, uh, and I went to Michigan, in Houghton, Michigan. I went to Michigan Technological University. And there I started working on my PhD, and I studied for three years in a PhD program. And I was all done except for the dissertation. Mm -hmm. And I had this epiphany that we talked about earlier on, where I realized how hard I was working. I mean, I was obviously doing the PhD studies. I was teaching photography. I was teaching technical writing. I was teaching English 101 and 102 and a few other things. And I thought to myself, how much harder would it be to do what I like? Because I wasn't happy, you know, obviously doing that, but that wasn't fulfilling. And what I really wanted to do was photography. And the answer was that it couldn't be any harder because I was working as hard as one possibly can work. And so at this point I thought, well, could I make enough money or as much money doing photography as I made as a graduate student? And I was making $480 a, a month as a graduate student. <laughs> and we, we were talking to somebody the other day that said, well, you were lucky, I mean, only 400. <laughs> what, at what age was that? Um, well, I was like maybe 26 at the time, 28. Mm -hmm. And uh, I divided f 480 or let's say 500 by 30, which is how many months, uh, how many days in a month. Mm -hmm. And it comes to about $20 a day. Mm -hmm. And I thought, can I make $20 a day doing photography? And the answer is yes, because it's pretty hard not to make $20 a day <laughs> doing anything. And so that being said, I thought then, you know, I might as well do photography and make $500 a month that way than be a grad student and make $500 a month that way. And so that was sort of the beginning, which in a way was setting a very low expectation. Mm -hmm. And setting up low expectation makes it easy to achieve the goal, and then you can set a higher goal later on. Yeah. But it gives you confidence because yeah. you can reach the goal quickly. Yeah, as opposed to dreaming of a distant goal and then trying to achieve it sort of early and failing. Exactly. Really. I had a customer one day, I, I was telling him that exact story, and he said, well, you were very fortunate because I make six figures, and so if I divide it <laughs> by the number of months or days, it would get to a very high number and I couldn't do it. And, and it's true. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is in that situation, and I suppose some of the viewers here could be in that situation, making a very sizable income, in that case, you have to understand that you can't go from a six-figure income to another six-figure income in photography or in whatever it is you want to do. You would have to take a cut in pay. And, 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 and progress. Right, and assume that there's going to be a lull and mm -hmm. things are going to be different for a while until you go back. Because to expect to go from a high to a high in a very different field is unrealistic. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and 
you know, that's just the nature of the game. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, a lot of our audience are creative professionals mm -hmm. or people right. that aspire to a creative professional career in photography, commercial photography, in design, in writing, in, in uh, technology maybe. Mm -hmm. um, is there any other advice that you, the things you learned basically over your career? Um, I, I think this, what you just mentioned is very valuable, but that... Well, there's many things that I could say. You know, one of them is to set a low expectation. People always ask me, you know, how I get so much done. One of the secrets is I have very, very reasonable goals. For example, when I wrote my second book, which I just finished this, this spring, my goal, for example, on, on any given day was to maybe finish a chapter or even maybe finish a section of a chapter. Yeah. I had days where the goal was to select the photographs for one particular chapter or find the quotes for a particular chapter because I like to use quotes when I write. All of these are very small goals, but they make it very easy to achieve because they, they are small. You know, it, it's the old British saying: "How do you eat an elephant? Yeah. One bite at a time." Yeah. You know? So, but if you s if you put it in your mind, next week I write a book, you'll never get it done. Yeah. It's overwhelming. It's too big of a, a challenge. Exactly. Yeah. To, yeah. to attack at once. Yeah. I mean, it's like asking, "How do I become Premier One World Champion?" You know, that's stressful. <laughs> but if you think, "Well, first I have to learn to drive a cart," you know, yeah. you know, then you break it down. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Go step by step. Yeah. Exactly, step by step. Uh, wh what we say with Natalie is one little bit every day. Yeah. But every day, not you don't you don't really take a break. You yeah. just do a little bit every day, because soon enough you're like, wow, I've got it done. Yeah. And yeah. and you're shocked. You're like, yeah. how did that happen? Well, you worked on a little bit every day for a month. You know. So, um, you, your approach is basically uh, always been to do what you love, go for it. If you can uh, achieve. Uh, the initial expectation that you set as low as possible and then grow from there. And I think people, when they come here, ex including myself, I think mm. they're very surprised how successful you are, you are now. I am myself. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. People don't realize that it's not, you know, I was telling a, a student, and I was telling that uh, earlier on, that 10 years ago, I couldn't afford the entrance fee to Monument Valley, which is $5. And that person's, and I had to take a detour to avoid the uh, entrance fee booth because <laughs> it was either I paid for the gas or we I won't paid tell them. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Very few people will watch this uh, from Manu and Valley. But um, the the whole idea is sometimes you get surprised yourself because you don't have control over the mechanism that you are creating. It's the snowball effect. Yeah. You, know, you you start something, you get the ball rolling, and then things happen. Yeah. And you know, if somebody had told me. Um, in, in 10 years, you'll be where you are now, I would have laughed because, you know, it's, I, not, believable. I, it, it's not believable. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, Ale, you're very successful with selling your fine art prints, mm -hmm. which uh, to me is unusual because a lot of uh, photographers subsidize their um, sales of art mm -hmm. and prints um, right. with commercial photography, right. with workshops, with right. books, with things. You have uh, uh, some part that is also subsidizing your, your work as prints, right. but let's talk about the, your print sales business first. Mm -hmm. uh, how, did sure. you, how did you develop it? W was it like that from the beginning? Um, no, what, it, what's the story? <laughs> well, it wasn't like that from the beginning, um, but it became that way. You know, I started like everybody does. I look for galleries, I look for places to sell my work so that I wouldn't have to sell it myself. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of artists make. They think that if we find a gallery or we find a rep or we find a museum or a hotel or some place that can carry your work and, and sell it for you, we won't be successful. But the problem is that 
we do have to sell it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And eventually, uh, to me, things started happening when I took the decision to go and sell it myself instead of relying on somebody else. And at first, I was selling note cards in hotels. I mean, I would go to a gift store and try to sell note cards. Mm -hmm. And then I found the Altova Hotel at Grand Canyon, and that's where things really started uh, happening. Yeah. And uh, within two years, we were making six figures, basically. Yeah. So, so you said that that location you found there that you were mm -hmm. able to sell was a big break for you initially. Yeah, because we had an enormous traffic. We had uh, the traffic that's attracting you know, people to the Grand Canyon, which is five million visitors a year. And we estimate that over the five years that we were there, we had at least a million people walk in front of my work. Mm -hmm. And even if you count 1% buying, that's already a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and probably we had more than 1%. But the, the fact is that that was the break, yeah. The, yeah. the very, very large audience. Although, at the same time, it was an audience that was essentially interested in buying a touristic souvenir. Yeah. Not necessarily in buying fine art. And so for us, once the show was over, uh, the show ended without our control. It was canceled by the park we basically transformed our business into a fine art business yeah. where we stopped selling to tourists and we tried to reach and eventually reached a, a, a very different audience that's looking for fine art. Yeah, yeah, it's more focused on the quality of the art. And right, more focused on the quality and of course, you know, is interested in what the artist has to say as opposed to just bringing a souvenir. Yeah, mm. there's also a business lesson in this, I think, and I can, if I try to put myself mm. into the, your shoes back then, it was almost probably a bit like a doomsday where you lost mm -hmm. this opportunity to right. continue selling this show, and, yeah. and you know how did you evolve your business from there, and how did you is you know have a positive outlook on it? Well, you always have to think about what is the next step as you're successful. Mm -hmm. The time to look at for the next step is not when things start to fall apart; it's when you're successful. Yeah. And we knew the whole time that we were at this show two things. The first one is the show could end at any time because it was controlled by the U.S. government and they don't really favor private enterprise. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is that, as artists, I may not want to do that show my whole life. Yeah. And so we started working, you know, a sort of alternate solution, which is, uh, I was fortunate to meet Michael Reichman of the Luminous Landscape, and Michael asked me to write a series of essays for his website, mm -hmm. and I did. And at the time, the essays brought absolutely no income. It was just to express my views on photography. But when the show came to an end, I had developed an audience that read these essays, and I started offering workshops, and I started selling prints on the web, and that audience was basically waiting for me to offer something, because oh, I had nothing for sale before. Yeah. So I had a brand new audience that I had never quite uh, addressed, yeah. that was waiting for me. But it would not have happened if I hadn't started writing these essays, you know, several years before the show ended. I, including myself, I was I uh, right. got to know you through right. the, the uh, uh, essays on Michael's website. Yeah, a lot of people do, and then so that happened, and then a publisher called me and said, "Would you like to put this collection of essays into a book?" And when somebody calls you and asks you that, you say yes. You don't you don't ask, <laughs> yeah. you don't ask any questions. A lot right? of people fight to get in there. Exactly. So. so I was very fortunate. But again, the essays were very interesting and very focused on aesthetics, that is on art, not on technique. Not on technique. So I'm not really competing with people that try technical things, of which there's many. I'm just addressing an audience that's interested about art. And so the book pushed me to another level. And the book was very successful. It became a bestseller. We printed two editions so far. And I just completed my second book with the same publisher that will be published in June. Nice. So one thing leads to another. And like I said, it's the snowball effect. Yeah. And, you know, uh, am I responsible for that? Yes, in the sense that I work very hard. Yeah. But, you know, there is another element 
uh, that I don't control, and maybe it's luck, and that's fine. You know, yeah. I don't have a problem with yeah. that. If you imagine yourself not having gotten that original break uh, at the uh, mm -hmm. Grand Canyon, would you could you imagine yourself not being where you are today? Absolutely, or? yeah. Actually, I was saying to Natalie the other day, uh, and how this started, and uh, the way we applied for the show is I applied over the phone, and the lady that ran the show was the person that was operating a hair salon at the Grand Canyon, the Bright Angel hair, hair salon. And I told Nat, and we went to the Grand Canyon, and I had a meeting, and that person looked at me very, very hard to get a feel for me, and apparently liked what she saw and said, well, I can't do my show next week, would you like to take my place? And that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And if during that look she had decided that she did not like me, everything would be different. Yeah. But I don't have a doubt that I would have found another way to do it. See, and that's what yeah. I think too. I think you yeah. would be exactly where you are. It would have probably taken longer or a different route. Or, or a different route. Yeah, yeah. different route. Because yeah. eventually it's the drive, you know. Uh, we talked earlier on about when I do consulting. Uh, the first question that I ask photographers when I do consulting is how hard are you willing to work? Yeah. Because if you just think that you're going to become famous because your art is beautiful, this is a mistake. Mm. You know, we have to work hard at this. We ha I spend a lot of time marketing. Um, I spend a lot of time working at this. I mean, we work. You know, I don't count how many hours, but at least eight hours, and if not more, yeah. a day. You know, yeah. I have friends that work sixteen hours a day. Yeah. So, so we'll uh, we'll get to the the business development side in a second episode. Right. Uh, for the, for now, maybe uh, we'll have a look at your approach to art. Uh, mm -hmm. Elaborating a little bit, you said you 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 do work on your art. Uh, you augment your images to mm -hmm. create your vision, basically. Right, right. It's not about documenting reality right. as much as creating the vision that you're sort of looking at. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested in reality. I'm interested in believability. That is, ideally, I want somebody to look at my work and think, I haven't been to this place, but if I went there, that's how I would feel. Or that's how Alan felt when he was there. So I make no claim that what I reproduce or what I represent is reality. Yeah. I make a claim that this is my emotional response to the scene. So it's very, very similar to, let's say, a painter approach or the impressionist approach. Uh, I interpret what I see. It's interpretation. It's of a total yeah, interpretation. Yeah. And um, it's something that I'm very familiar with and I'm very comfortable with, yeah. but it's a decision that every one of us has to do in the sense that we have to decide as artists whether we are comfortable transforming reality yeah. and, and altering or, you know, like people say, manipulating, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's okay with me. And, and I think it's something that all of us have to ask and yeah. answer. It's just your approach. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, Alain, many photographers focus uh, a lot on the technology mm -hmm. or the right. technique side of photography, right. whereas uh, with all you do, you're writing your books, mm -hmm. uh, even your own work, uh, how you approach your own work. Uh, I think you, you see technology as a means to an end much more than many other photographers. Yeah, and I like to make comparisons with other art forms. And, you know, it'd, it'd be like saying that in cooking, you know, you're more in love with your pots and pans than you are with the product of the cooking. And yeah. It gets very boring to me. I mean, I, we, we don't really need to know how the work was done, in a way, to yeah. enjoy the work. And we were talking about music earlier on. Musicians go, don't go to a concert and think, look, I wonder what brand of saxophone he's playing, or I wonder if that's a Stratocaster or a Fender or a Les Paul guitar. They just enjoy the music. Yeah. And I think that photographers tend to go too much into the technical yeah. and not enough into the artistic. And uh, you know, I, I think that is partly my role to um, fix that problem, in a way. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, that's true. I, there's just a hummingbird actually yeah. flying by here, which uh, entertains us all the time. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful here, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's true. And um, I, I really deeply enjoy your ability to frame an approach to art mm -hmm. that is not, I wouldn't say technical, but that mm -hmm. gives uh, art a, a, a mm -hmm. framework or a, an approach to, to comp composition, to right. how to see art, how to criticize and how to how to evolve basically right. so yeah the way i look at it is photography is the way i do it fine art photography is 50% art 50% science or technique yeah. and i also see my responsibility as sharing that message because for photography to become a full-fledged art and i'm not sure that it has so far yeah. but to become a respected art we have to go into that direction where it's not just technical yeah. because we are going to die otherwise as an art form yeah. because the technique is now available to anybody through just the purchase of a camera, a printer, computer, software. And so we have to go further than that. There, and there's a high level of technical achievability by going into uh, an electronic store, buying a quality camera. Exactly. Uh, so the level has risen, but from there, yeah. we are still on the same level. So that's where the art really started. Exactly, right? yeah. The, the general quality level of photography has taken a giant leap forward or upwards with the invention of digital photography. But when you compete, uh, like I do in, in the marketplace, we all start at the same level, which is we are just higher up on the level of quality. Uh, from there, the only difference that we can make you know, with another photographer is through the artistic side. Yeah. We have to master the technique in order to let the expressive come out. That's, that's how I like to put it. Yeah. Or we have to master the technique so that it becomes transparent and we can really work at the creative level and the Absolutely. artistic level. Yeah, so it is not hindering you anymore. Right. Yeah. Also, uh, we are getting to the end of this uh, mm -hmm. episode. We'll have another episode talking more about you know, how mm -hmm. to develop a successful business as an artist. Um, what's next for you? We, you just moved into this beautiful surrounding new house. Uh, you have, it's a beautiful teaching space and gallery. Uh, you uh, finished your second book, which mm -hmm. is going to be published when? It's going to be published in June. Uh, through Rocky Nook, the same publisher as the first book, and I'll have it announced on my website. Is the title already? Uh, the title is Mastering Composition, Inspiration, and Personal Style. Okay. So it's totally about art. Uh, there is some technique in it. Yeah. There is some technical information on how to work on photographs, but there's also a lot of information on how to compose a photograph from an artistic perspective, and also on where to find inspiration and how to develop a personal style. Yeah. Uh, that is, I don't see the technique as being an end to, to yeah, itself, like yeah. you said. So yeah. the book is done. It's uh, now mm -hmm. the job is to market it, I guess. And to yeah, the yeah the book is done. It was a lot of work, and uh, it's now in the hands of the publisher. And uh, then after that, yeah, the, obviously uh, from a business perspective, uh, a lot of it is marketing it. And you know, the nice thing with working with publisher is they obviously do some of the marketing for you. Yeah. But you still have to do a lot of the marketing yeah. yourself. Yeah. What's next? In terms of books, I'm going to work on a third book, and it might be on marketing photography. I haven't decided yeah. yet. Otherwise, um, with your art, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm. Well, I'm. I'm continuing to work with the P45, the Phase One P45, creating a lot of very interesting photographs. Uh, we all have shows here in our gallery. We yeah. only moved here six months ago. Okay. And so we we all have uh, shows right. in this space. We do a lot of consulting here. Part of the reason for moving here was that it's such a great environment for showing art for teaching um, you know it, it just makes a lot of things possible yeah and and really uh, I think as an artist you know we, we talked about investing 
money in business. One of the things that you really need to do as an artist is invest in, in things that can help you move forward. Yeah. And one of them, I think, is where you live. Yeah. Because one of the business decisions that we've made a while ago is to not have a gallery in a street mm -hmm. because the cost of rent and utilities is such that you can have an overhead of, of $3,000 a month, for example, very, very rapidly. Yeah. That means you have to make 40 grand a year just to pay for that. Yeah. And here we have the living space be where we show. So, yeah. so it actually makes a lot life a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. So someone that ha is very has become very successful and has some you know a really good concept mm -hmm. of how you got here and and you very I think systematic with your mm -hmm. steps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you see yourself in ten years from now? It's a difficult question, and I really don't know. I mean, I you know I live so much in the present, but uh, on the one hand. I might be doing very different types of medium that is not just photography. I might be doing other types of art, painting, uh, sculpture maybe. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's very important to have hobbies, you know, and so one of the things that I could see myself doing is, is have, uh, you know, other hobbies that right now I don't have the time to do. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was at Grand Canyon, I had a customer that asked me what my hobbies were, mm -hmm. and I drew a blank. And when I came about, I realized I didn't have any. My mm -hmm. hobby had, bec had become my profession, Job, you know. Right. And so it's really one of the dangers when you do what used to be a hobby as a profession, yeah. but you have no hobbies, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's something very important is, is to take time and, and uh, you know, do things that are not just your business. Yeah, you know, have so a life too. Have a life, absolutely. Yeah, I meet yeah. a lot of people that don't have a life. Yeah, I, I find that an interesting aspect in terms of, for myself, mm -hmm. I find it always dangerous if I have a hobby that I really mm -hmm. like, that I that is a recreational element. Mm -hmm. If it becomes something that I do for mm -hmm. a living or I make money mm -hmm. with, it takes a bit away um, the the attraction to it. Was that the same for you in photography, or could you were you able to sustain the the um, inspiration and, and the, uh, the, the uh, yeah. excitement for... Well, it changes. It's not that I have less of an interest in photography. My interest is probably higher now because I know so much more that I'm operating at a much higher level. Mm -hmm. It's that you have to generate an income from it. Mm -hmm. And so that means that you have to do certain things that you wouldn't have to do if it was just a hobby. Yeah. I have to look at, you know, budgeting my time so that I'm very wise about how much time I spend doing certain things. If I spend the next 12 months creating new photographs, I'll be bankrupt. I have to spend part of the next 12 months selling photographs, yeah, right? Yeah. So those are the kind of thinking. Yeah, there's some pressure. That right. On the other hand, you know, most of us have more than one interest in life. I mean, I, I love photography, but I also love automobiles. You know, I love car racing. So these are some of the things that, you know, being successful allows you to do, you know. To so, diversify. So in a sense, you can look in other things that that you have a passion for, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and um, move in that direction. I mean, I love decorating homes. You know, I, I redecorated this entire house, for example. Yeah. Uh, I love landscaping, you know, doing gardening and all of that. I love collecting art, you know. Mm -hmm. So all of these are things that I do also as, as I'm doing my work. Yeah, you know? so it's not too mon monotonous. Thing, yeah, and also you have a rich life. Yeah. You know, I think uh, um, one of the things we talked about about artists is a lot of artists don't have an art collection. They just collect their own work, you know, because mm -hmm. they can't sell it, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because they just have a lot of it. Yeah. It's very important to, to collect other people's work, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, musicians listen to other people's music, right? Yeah. They don't listen to their own music, but a lot of photographers only work, look at their own work. Yeah, you know? So there's a sort of di dichotomy a little bit. Yeah. Alain, thank you for having us You're for this first episode. Uh, it's been beautiful to be here around and uh, exchange mm -hmm. a lot of ideas on mm -hmm. art business, marketing. Uh, it's right. been great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. Take care. Thank you.